Acts chapter 1. We've been walking through a four-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit. How does, how does the Holy Spirit lead us? But then how can we tell the difference between the Holy Spirit leading us and what we have in our own head? I mean, how many times have you prayed something and, and asked for God to lead you, but you're like, all right, is this, is this what God wants or what I want? And how do we know the difference in how the Holy Spirit is talking to us. We, in the first week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit shows up with power in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I didn't come to you with wise words, with professional sermons and the right things to say, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't save you. The Lord showed up and saved you. And so the Corinthian church existed because God showed up in his power. And then we looked at, as we continued in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, how the Lord showed up and, and displayed that it wasn't Paul's word at all, that Paul was bringing God's word, that we can know that the Holy Spirit is leading us because whatever we feel like God is leading us to do, we should be able to go back to Scripture and say, this is, thus says the Lord. This is what God's word says. I cannot tell you how many times somebody has called me or showed up in my office and said, man, I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this. You know, like I'm not happy in my marriage and I think God wants me to be happy, so we're going to get a divorce. It's what God wants. And I'm like, well, thank you for coming to meet with me, but let's look at what the Bible says. This is what we know God has told us and how we can confirm how the Holy Spirit is, is leading. We live in a culture that is very much driven by our emotions, uh, by how we feel, uh, by our heart language. How do you feel and what is your heart telling you to do? Do that and that'll make you happy. Look, your heart will mess you up in a heartbeat. Can I get an amen? I'll just go ahead and throw this out there for every Georgia fan getting ready for the football season. Our heart will mess us up and Alabama twice. It is like, what in the world? If you go by your heartstrings, it, it will it'll lead you astray. And so we want to make sure that whatever we're doing, however we feel like the Lord is leading, that we can confirm it in the scriptures. Is this what God's word tells us to be about and how that we should live? Today, what we're going to be looking at is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Specifically, how do we have access to what is present in our life as a believer? Ephesians chapter 6, which I love the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 talks, the whole Bible talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. We just miss it. Ephesians, it says a lot about the Holy Spirit all throughout the book. In chapter 6, though, there's a, a popular uh, section of Scripture that talks about the armor of God. How we are able to withstand Satan's attacks against us. So we love that type of stuff. So there's a lot of it that talks about how we can defend against Satan attacking us. But there's one verse in all those verses that tells us how we can actually fight back. How we can press back against it. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 6 verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now what is the sword of the Spirit? Because if you're like me and you're a guy, we want to talk about some swords for a second. I want to attack, I want to attack, I want to fight back. Satan gets me, I want to punch him back. If the world is pressing, oh man, we want to, how do we attack spiritually? He says with the sword of the spirit. Well, what is the sword of the spirit? He says, which is the word of God. How we attack this sword of the spirit, the spirit of God is in connection with the word. He, he inspired the word so we fight against the battles of the world and how satan attacks us with the very word of god then he says pray at all times in the spirit in every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints you know there's a few stories that kind of came to my mind about how we should have access 
uh, to what God has given us in the Holy Spirit. There's an old Scottish woman who lived in one of the most impoverished conditions in her hometown. Wanting a better life for her son, she helped him uh, immigrate to America, and he got a job and became a very successful businessman in America. He'd become very wealthy, and so uh, one day, one of her friends was coming over to sit at her house, and they were talking, and as she looked around, she noticed that her house was, was not very impressive, and everything was kind of beat down, and she didn't really have a lot, and, and so she began to ask questions about her son. She said, doesn't your son ever send you money to help with your needs? Doesn't he ever come visit with you? And the woman shook her head sadly, and he said, it does write me nice letters, though, and he sends me some of the most interesting pictures. Well, the listener, she just kind of got annoyed. She got frustrated thinking about her son being wealthy over in America. And here his mom is really struggling and not having all that she needs. So she asked, you don't mind if I see the pictures that he is sending? So the, the age mother proudly brought out all these pictures, had them all in a drawer. And, and to her visitor's amazement, they were not pictures at all. They were valuable banknotes from America amounting to thousands upon thousands of dollars that her son had been sending her for over a decade. For a decade, the Scottish mom lived in poverty and struggled to have all that she needed. And what was her problem? Is it that she didn't have a lot? No, she did. She had a lot of things. She had, what she saw was these interesting pictures. She owned the banknotes. The problem is she didn't possess them. She didn't take possession of what she already owned. There's another man in West Texas. He's a, he was a, a sheep farmer, if you will, uh, he, he was famous as he was raising sheep in Texas. He was known in, uh, for this place that maybe you've heard of it. It's called Yates Pool in West Texas. You see, it was during the Depression. He had the field he had. He had sheep everywhere, and, but the Depression had come about, and he was, he was not able to supply his family's needs. Not only was he not able to supply their needs, he, was, he wasn't able to make his banknotes. He wasn't able to pay off his farm. And so like a lot of farmers during the Great depression, the government came along beside and handed out subsidies to help them so that they didn't lose everything that they had. If all the farmers lost all of their land to the banks, the banks would have a bunch of land and a bunch of farm stuff, but nobody would have food. And the depression would, would, would struggle even more. So America came along beside farmers to just help them make it, just to help them survive. Well, day after day, as he grazed his sheep uh, over those rolling West Texas hills, there was no doubt that he was in extreme trouble and one day, a seismographic crew from an oil company came to the area, and they told Mr. Yates that they believed that he might have oil on his land. They asked permission if they could drill a, what they known as a wildcat well. And so he signed a lease with them, and this was just to find out how much, if there is oil there, how much is there. At 1,115 feet, they struck a massive oil reserve. The first well came in at what they believed to be about 80,000 barrels of oil per day. Per day, uh, if the barrel of oil at that time is selling for $100 a barrel, start doing the math on how much would you be pulling in per day. In fact, 30 years after they first discovered the oil, a government test came in to test one of the wells, and it showed that it still had the potential of pulling in 120,000 barrels of oil per day. And that was just one. They found multiple places. And here's the deal. Mr. Yates owned every bit of it. The day that he bought the land, when you buy land, you get the mineral and oil rights to that land. And so he had all of that. The problem is, though he had all of this stuff, he was living in poverty because he did not have an ability to access what he already owned. 
I can't think of a greater illustration than how I personally view his church today. I see so many churches who are, who are dying. They're, they're dying in poverty. Not because they don't have the right programs, because they don't have the right leadership, because they don't have this or that. They have access to millions in the power of the Holy Spirit. They just don't know how to tap into that power. I see a lot of you who are here today. Matter of fact, as some of you are lined up and going through the Lord's Supper, I, I just began to walk through the line of story after story of story of families that God has done unbelievable works in your family's life. Even some since I've been here where I've just seen God do mighty things, yet I still believe there are a lot of you that are here or maybe even watching online, you feel like you are, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, but you're spiritually walking in poverty because you have not tapped into the vast amount of power and resources that are available to you in the Holy Spirit. Let me make it this clear. Thousands of churches every day are shutting their doors, not because of their location, not because of their leadership, not because they didn't switch to programs or they didn't make a certain music a certain way. It's because they began at some point to exist without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. What we need more of is access to the great power that we already have available to each and every one of us. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 1. As he talks to us about how the Holy Spirit came about, how the Holy Spirit, he was already involved in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was moving all throughout history, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has a conversation right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. So let's read it together, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them, that's them being the disciples, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Let me just stop here. That is like, I, I can relate to this because I'm like, man, that's a question like I would ask. He's telling them. Matter In previous passage, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he says, there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be with you. But it's okay, a helper is going to come. And when this helper comes along beside you, greater things will you do, greater things will you do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you than, than I've done. Now think about that for a moment. These disciples have seen Jesus, I mean, he has healed the, the, the blind, the lame, the sick, he brought a dead man back to life in Lazarus, and Jesus himself was dead and rose from the dead. And so these verses are coming to their mind as he's telling them this. You're telling me we're going to do greater things than we've seen you do. Like, and, and here's the question that they ask. Oh, the Holy Spirit's coming? Are you going to return Israel to be the superpower we want it to be, the greatest nation in the world? Like, Are you going to return us to the forefront? Are we going to defeat Rome? Is this when we're going to be victorious? Now, if I'm Jesus at this point, I'm like, sit down, boys. We're about to have a Bible study. Are you serious right now? That's not what he does. Listen to the patience that Jesus has because he wants the point to be clear for them. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In this passage, we see how Jesus is teaching them and talking to them about this presence that they're going to have in their life. Now, let me first start off by giving you point number one, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is promised to you and I. The Holy Spirit is not only promised to them. 
Some people read this and say, yeah, but the Holy Spirit working like in power and might, that, that's good for them. That's good for the disciples. Like they had this power to like do miracles and do things, and, and that's awesome for them. But, but that's for them, not necessarily for us. The problem is the rest of Scripture teaches something differently. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Now, let me give you the two primary ways that people talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. Let me give you what I believe personally to be the wrong one first, and then I'll give you the right one. Now, there's one way that people believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you get like a little bit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then at a later date, at a later time, it's known as the second anointing or the second filling. At that point, the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you, and you're going to then receive like spiritual gifts and, and power, and at that point, you'll be able to maybe like speak in tongues or do different things. And so they know this is a secondary filling. Now, that's a lot of people are hold to that truth, and maybe you're here today, and that's kind of where you are. Let me kind of encourage you why I think a little bit differently according to the scriptures. I understand naturally why you might think that. A lot of you, you came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but you were babies in Christ, and you had to learn what that meant. And then some point in your discipleship, you became more aware of who God is and what he was doing, and you felt like, man, now I can really feel God's presence. When I look back on my childhood, I don't always remember what my parents did for me. Anybody else out there, you're like that? You look back at your childhood, and you don't always remember all that your parents are doing for you. But then you had children, and you saw how hard it is to keep your kids alive. I mean, my kids like run and jump off the side of the, the pool, and, and you don't enjoy swimming when you're with your little kids. You just make sure, God, I want my kids to come up out of the water. And I don't always remember, I remember jumping off the diving board, but I don't always remember my dad standing right there making sure that I came up out of the water. But you know what? I came up out of the water. And you know why? Because my dad was there to make sure that I was doing it. My dad assisted and came along beside, but I was so young as a child, as an infant, that I didn't realize the presence and the power of my parents helping me and nourishing me and growing me. And then I became a parent and I realized, wow, I'm doing all of this like my parents did that too. Mom, you're awesome. I forgot about this. Thank you, you know, for changing my diaper and stuff. Like, thank you for feeding me. Thank you for loving me. You forget as, a, as an adult all that your parents have done for you. In the same way as an infant in Christ, sometimes you, you don't realize all that God is doing in your life because, well, you're just, you're young. Your eyes have not matured yet to be able to see and understand the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But as you grow into maturity, then you become to realize, oh, God is moving in my life this way. And so what I, I believe is that, and what I see in the scriptures, like Ephesians 1, verse 13 that I just shared, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. All the Holy Spirit of God you will ever need the day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, are you going to grow in maturity to learn how to, in the relationship with Christ and the power of the Spirit, to access that and use it? Sure. Uh, but he is there. In him, it says, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He sealed you. So he assured your salvation. And when you heard the word of truth, not only heard it with your ears, a lot of you here, you have heard the word of God with your ears, but you've never heard it with your heart. And there's two different, that's two different things. 
Some of you have heard about Jesus. You're watching online. You've heard about Jesus your whole life here. But the moment that you realize the truth of the gospel here and you respond to the gospel, you place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, the Bible says then, it, then and when you believed, it says you were, you were sealed. The presence of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. So at that point, you have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead in your life. The same promised Holy Spirit of God to them, it is also promised to you and I. The day that you come to know Christ, you are filled with the power of God that you need to know him, to follow him, to enjoy him, and to accomplish the mission that he has given you. The Holy Spirit has promised to you. So if you are here today, and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So what does that now mean for you? Secondly, the Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit comes in power. You're just never going to see where the Holy Spirit is involved in something, and he doesn't move. It doesn't change. Something doesn't happen. He comes in power, and he promises them this. He says, you need to understand. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 7, he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the periods, but you will receive uh, what? You're going to receive power. You're going to receive. It's not like an option. It's not like maybe this might happen. Some of you are in here going, well, I think Jesus skipped me in this process. Like that person got power, but I don't feel like I have power. You probably feel like the, the sheep farmer. You, there's, there's all this power available, but you haven't yet learned how to tap into that. The Holy Spirit moves in in power. Now, there's all kinds of scriptures that guide us or speak to us about the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 3, 16 says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner man through the Spirit of God. Some of you are going through things right now, and you don't need more wisdom, you don't need more guidance, you don't need more enlightening, you don't need more steps or principles, you need the power of God. You're going through stuff that you cannot do it by yourself. You can't accomplish it by yourself. You don't have the wisdom or the strength or the ability or the, or the knowledge to handle it. You need God. You need his power and his might. And so he says, what I pray that we would pray for one another is that we would be strengthened in our inner man. The spirit of God would strengthen us from the inside out. You know, there's a lot of Bible verses that, are, are, that we love. People always say that a pastor's famous verse is the one that he's reading right then. I think I tell you all every Sunday, like, this is my favorite verse. I love this. The word of God comes to life, and, and you love it. But there's one story that has always stuck with me. There's one story that is always kind of my eyes were open, and it's just made alive to me. And I think about it all the time, and it's out of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. He's looking over a, a, a lot of bones that are dead, and he says, Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off, therefore prophesy, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will replace you on your own and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Man, there is power. Think about the power that he's talking about. He says, prophesy and speak, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spirit in those old, dry, dead bones, and I'm going to bring them to life. 
and God would do that. He would give them their promised land. But you know the ultimate fulfillment of that is in you and I? Listen to what he says in Romans 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. You want to know what brings life to a church? The spirit of God. You want to know what brings life to a person? The spirit of God. Some of you today, you feel like those dry bones. Some of you are like, man, I understand that verse. Like, I'm getting older. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about aging bones. He's talking about a spiritual condition. I have preached in some churches before that I thought, Lord, I preach, and and you just could feel, man, I don't know that God's in this place. I don't know that God's here. It was like preaching to a wall. I've never felt like that at Shirley Hills. I'm so thankful for God moving, and, and some of you, I mean, you are like awesome to preach at. You're in it and talking and throwing hands at me, and I'm like, yeah, come on. And the Spirit of the Lord is moving. And, and how do we know? How do we know? Because the reason I can stand here today is because I, I was the dry bones. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I heard the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loved me. He came and died in my place to give me life. And that if I put my hope and faith and trust in him, I, he'll come into my life. And him coming into my life is his spirit. The only reason I can stand here today is because of what Jesus has done in my life. After the first service, one of our awesome senior adults, he's, he's been here now uh, about six or eight months in our church, and as he was, he was coming by in his wheelchair, he said, I have a question for you. He said, Pastor, how did you know when God was telling you that you were to be a pastor? How did that happen? I said, oh man, it's crazy how it happened. I came to know Christ in my seventh grade summer going into eighth grade. I had no clue what it meant to be a Christ follower. Not a clue. I didn't know three-fourths of the stories in the Bible. I, I didn't know anything. So I'm this new believer who knows nothing. So it took me a year to even figure out basics that I was supposed to be I mean, I, it was, it, I'm thankful for all the gracious leaders that loved on me through that time. And it, it came to a youth camp the next summer. And in that youth camp, it's been one year since I've come to know Christ. My youth pastor came up to me and said, hey, Jacob, I want you to share your testimony. I said, awesome. What's a testimony? He said, it's when you're telling people what God has done in your life. I said, okay, like, what am I supposed to talk about? He said, tell them what your life was like before Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, and what's changed since you've come to know Jesus. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do it. When? He said, you've got two minutes. Some by them youth pastors in the last second things, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do this. And so here we go. So I have never shared my testimony in my life. I, I mean, I maybe had talked to somebody, ba- like basics a little bit, but I'd never stood in front of anybody and shared anything. And I remember that youth camp, I got up and I just shared my story. And believe it or not, I shared it in like five minutes. yes don't lie it's the last time I ever spoke for five minutes I can promise you that but all I remember that day is God took over it's the only way I can explain it I can't tell you what I said I can tell you I was I didn't have notes I wasn't playing I wasn't ready but God just took over Uh, it was like I was there but it was like God was doing it and when we got done I prayed, and I remember seven students gave their life to Jesus. And I went, hmm, maybe there's something in this. 
God's doing something here. I had no clue that God was preparing that to be the rest of my life. But the Spirit of God took over in His power in that moment. And then God began to give me opportunities, and His power would show up. But church, if I'm honest, there I went through a stretch where I would share the gospel or I would preach and nobody would get saved and God wouldn't do anything. And I'm like, man, I was struggling hard. Maybe I'm not called to this preacher thing. I mean, I've preached at like 10 or 12 churches now. Nobody's gotten saved. They ain't calling me back. Like, this is what's happening. I would share the gospel with people at like Waffle House. I don't know why, but that was like my place. It was, that was like the old school Kroger for me. You know, the, before Kroger was built, I'd see you at the Waffle House. And so I, I would share, and nobody was getting saved. And so I, I called a friend who was a pastor, and I'm like, listen, I'm struggling. I'm preaching, nobody's getting saved. I'm sharing the gospel, nobody's getting saved. I'm having conversations, nobody's getting saved. And he said, Jacob, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try something. He said, before you tell somebody about Jesus, before you preach a sermon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God to take over. I want you to tell him and remind God and yourself how weak you are and how much you need God. And I want you in the very best you can and say something like this, God, I need your power. The only way somebody can be saved is if you do it. The only way, you, you take my words, but you, in your power, you do it. Lord, I need your power. I need you to show up. And, and, and so I began to do, go, walk through that process. All right, Lord, I'm about, I feel like you're telling me to talk to whoever in this booth beside me at Waffle House. So before I do this, Lord, I'm scared to death right now, but Lord, I need you. And so you, you give me the words to say, but more than that, would you take my words that are probably gonna be messed up and would you just impress it on their mind and their heart? Would you connect the dots? Because I, I could mess this up, so you do it. And man, next thing I know, people started coming to know Christ. God started working and what the Lord taught me is that what we need more than anything, and I know we, we want to train you in how to share the gospel. We want to equip you to be disciple makers. We want you to be able to understand and read the Bible. But can I tell you what we need more than anything? A lot of Christians who realize that we are nothing without God, who are humbled before him and to say, Lord, I'm just going to attempt this because you're amazing and in your power you can do amazing things. Paul said, I didn't come with wise words or perfect sermons, but I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit of God. Amen? Look, if you come to our church, you're not going to get a perfect sermon. You're not going to get perfect ministries, but in the power of God, that's what we are going to rest on. That's what we're going to build on. That's what we're going to lean on. But when we have God, we have everything we need. Amen? So today, for some of you in your families and in your homes, what you need more than anything is the power of God. Today, you need to come to the realization that, Lord, we need your spirit. We need your presence in this situation and in this circumstance. I was talking to, to Jeff this week in the office about how we cannot out-policy sin for our students. When you give us your students for camp, which, by the way, Jeff and Malia just do an amazing job. They have awesome guidelines. Yep. Whoop, whoop. But you know what Jeff cannot do? He cannot make your child not sin. We can make rules, we can make guidelines, you can't go off with another person of a, another gender or anybody without groups of three, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can, we can, hey, we could make a million and a half rules. You could, we could show up to the parent-student meeting and we could break out like, like just a hundred page paper of rules for camp. And guess what? If your children want to sin, guess what they're going to do? Hey parents, can you make your children not sin? 
boy, if I could help you make your children not sin, I'd be a billionaire. Would I not, parents? Hey, guess what? As a pastor, I can't make my congregation not sin. I can't make you not sin. If I could, if I could just say, boom. I mean, if I had Benny Hinn's jacket and I threw it out and I could make you not sin, and that was real, like, wouldn't we have just churches all over the place just full of people like sinless? We can't do that. Policy can't do it. Procedure can't do it. You want to know what can help rid sin in our life? The power of the Holy Spirit. So what you need in your children's lives are not always better rules, more rules. You need to pray. Lord, through the power of your spirit, like you open my eyes to sin, will you open their eyes to sin? You're like, man, you don't understand. You'll get there. Look, I was a youth pastor for several years. I understand how hard those years are. But what your children need more than anything is your love and the power of God in their life. What we need more than anything is to show our children how much we need God's love and his power in our life. You know why I talk about student ministry a lot? Because students listen to it. Our students will listen. They're all down here listening, like fired up, ready to go. But you know what happens when we become adults? What happens when we become adults? Life happens. And all of a sudden, we stop listening. We'll stop listening to God. And we think, we've got this. And so sometimes the illustrations that I'm sharing to students, they're really for me. And they're really for us. What do we need more than anything else? We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Number three, the Holy Spirit is personal. It's personal. I want you to notice who he's talking to here. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, the Holy Spirit of God is personal. It's to us, to you, to me. I can't be the Holy Spirit for someone else. The Holy Spirit of God, the power and the strength of God is in their life. It is to us individually. We all individually will give an account for our life. The Holy Spirit of God is he's personal, working through us personally. So here's what I want to do as we close. I want to show you in this section how they responded to what Jesus told them. What, what did they do now that he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them? How were, how were they going to have access to that Holy Spirit? Like what did they do that helped them? Let me give you number one. First of all, they obeyed. They obeyed. They were obedient. What did Jesus tell them to do? Do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And what did they do? They waited. They didn't leave. They listened to God. They obeyed what God had. Some of you, you want access to the Holy Spirit of God, but it's not on your own terms. You have to be obedient to the Lord. Some of you are saying things like this, God, I'm praying, but I don't hear you right now. Perhaps there's some overwhelming sin in your life that's drowning out the voice of the Lord because you're living in, in rebellion to God. He's told you, hey, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to speak to you. I'm ready to move, but this is what I told you to be doing. But you're like, but God, I want to live over here. For them, for the disciples, he says, do not leave. They didn't leave. They obeyed God. Can I tell you, it's amazing how the power of the Holy Spirit of God begins to move in his church when we just listen and obey. Like children, Lord, you speak. Well, I'll listen. I'll obey. What is it that you want of me? And God, that we will do. Lord, you speak. I'll listen. Lord, I want to obey. They obeyed him. Secondly, they prayed. They prayed. It says that they returned to Jerusalem and from the Mount of Olives. They stayed there. And then it tells us that they began to pray in unity. That they were, they were together, they were unified in prayer. 
They went into this upper room and they began to pray. In verse 12, when they returned, it says they went up in this upper room and it tells us that there were about 120 of them praying together and, and, and going to God. So let me ask you, are you being obedient to the Lord? But secondly, who are you praying for and who are you praying with? Who are you praying for and who are you praying with? If you want to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, I want you to look at how many times the Holy Spirit of God moved amongst the people who were praying. Not just by yourself. As a pastor, I have always led some type of small group. And part of that is out of a conviction. If I say as a church, we ought to make disciples who make disciples, which we ought to be doing that, amen? But I tell you that, then I should be doing that too. And so part of that process is not just in preaching, but me leading a smaller group of people as well. And one of the guidelines that I've always had in those types of groups is I, I, it takes time, but I try to tell them we're going to do no unspoken prayer requests. Now some of you are like, well, hang on. I see some of you because you're like the king or queen of unspoken prayer requests in every small group you're in. Like you're known for that, unspoken. And here's why. Because for some of you, you are missing the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life because you are keeping quiet about something God wants to help you in. And I get why sometimes we don't speak about those prayer requests. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't want people to know about someone else and I'm praying for them. Or sometimes I don't want people to know this about me and our pride keeps us from doing it. But what if God wants to bring victory to an area in your life, but you're not, you're not willing to be open with other believers and God wants to use them to bring victory in your life for it? I wonder how many marriages within the church have hit rock bottom simply because you were afraid to tell someone else that you were struggling. Hey, we're in a tough spot right now. And if God doesn't do something, we might end. And so instead, you say unspoken, and you try to fight that thing by yourself. When the power of the Holy Spirit wants to move in that situation, and he wants to move through gospel-centered community. They didn't, it says they didn't pray by themselves. They went up there, 120 people in an upper room, and they began to pray in faith, waiting for the Spirit of God. They were asking the Lord, prepare my mind and my heart spiritually. When the Holy Spirit drops, we're going to get ready to roll. But right now, we need to be ready. Let me ask you, who are you praying with? Do you have a group of people that you're praying with? Let me ask, if you leave today and you go somewhere to eat lunch and you lead your waiter or your waitress to a personal relationship in Jesus Christ, who immediately are you texting and asking them to pray for that person with you? That would be a good question. Who do you have to rally around you to pray for that person? Or if they reject Jesus and they say, listen, I'm not ready to follow Christ because, and they give you that thing, who are you calling on to say, hey, we need to pray for this person and Y'all need to periodically call up in here and eat at this person's table for the next few weeks. And one of us are going to lead them to Jesus. Who are you praying with and who are you praying for? Man, they prayed together and God began to move. Prayer is a powerful thing. We should be praying for certain things and we should be praying in community. They obeyed, they prayed, but thirdly, they had faith. They had faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me tell you how much faith they had. They had so much faith that what Jesus said was going to happen, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and give them power, and that they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that they started getting prepared for it. They said, not only are we going to go upstairs in the upper room and pray, but out of the disciples, one of the disciples disobeyed. Uh, obviously, Judas would rebel, and so we need to replace that person. So they prayed, and they appointed a new person to take that person's place. Why did they need that? Like, do you feel like that's kind of a weird place right there in between this promise of the Holy Spirit coming 
And then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming, and then it takes like a little pit stop and is like, oh, and by the way, they brought on, a, you know, the other, other disciple there that was going to help. Why would they do it there? Let me tell you why. Because they had such faith that God was going to do what he said he did that they got fully prepared so that when God did bring the Holy Spirit of God, they were ready to go right then. They didn't have to wait. Some of you say something like this. You know what, God? I tell you what, I'm going to pray for this, and then when you do it, then I'll do this. And God said, no, that's not faith. Oh, yeah, when you call me, then when you provide, then I'll go. No, how about you go and you trust I'll provide? See, what they did is they said, we're going to provide because we have such faith that the Spirit of God is coming, that we're going to get organized now for what God's going to do in the future. So let me ask you, Shirley Hills, do we have such faith in what God is going to do in the future that we're organizing ourselves right now ready for the move of God? We have such faith that the Spirit of God is going to be. I mean, let's just imagine this week our church breaks loose out in middle Georgia. The Holy Spirit of God moves, and we lead 400 people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this week, and they show up at church next Sunday. Are you ready to be a part of the disciple-making process of walking with 400 new people? Because this is what they were doing. They were getting ready. They knew that the Holy Spirit was coming with power and that they were going to be his witnesses. So we better get ready to handle what God is about to do. And what happened? They went out, they preached the gospel, and thousands of people got saved. And you know what? They kept going, and it said every day God was adding to his kingdom daily. Maybe the church today is not seeing as much daily people being added to the kingdom because we're not being prepared in faith for what God is going to do in the future. We're like, Lord, you prove it to me, and then I'll do it. And God has said, no. You want to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, then you begin to set up things now in faith for what God is going to do. So let me ask you, what do you need to get prepared right now? Maybe you need to have a conversation with your D group and say, okay, guys, we believe in faith in 2020 that our D group is going to reach 20 new people. If we reach 20 new people, we can't stay where we are, so we are going to get ready to multiply right now. So who in this group is going to be ready to help lead another group? Right now, for what God is going to do then. Oh, man, I can't do that. What you're saying is, God, we're not really sure you're going to do that, and I don't want to look foolish for stepping out on faith if you don't do it. It's the other way around. I believe often God looks at us, and we look foolish because we limit what God is able to do in all of his mighty power. I mean, there is just a wealth of power waiting for you and I to tap into. Are you willing to obey? Will we pray? And will our faith line up with what we say we believe? Maybe today for some of you, that faith, what that looks like for your family is to get all in at Shirley Hills. It's time for you to join our church and say, you know what, that's it, you're right. Man, we're gonna, we're gonna come to church, we're gonna get in a D group and we're gonna serve. For some of you, maybe it's time for you to join, and that's what God's calling you to do. For others, maybe the Lord has been telling you, it's time for you to lead a D group. It's time for you to serve your community in a certain way, but you've put it off. No, he's not doing that. No, you need to get organized for what God's going to do in it, and you need to get ready. I don't know what the Lord's leading you to do, but I know this. I don't want to one day, as a church and as a person, as a family, I don't want to go before the Lord and him say, Jacob, man, there are millions of gallons of oil right under your feet, and you never tapped into it. The Holy Spirit was full of power, waiting and ready. But you just didn't obey. You didn't pray. And you didn't have the faith to tap into all that I've given you. Won't you stand with me as we close and we get prepared to respond?